tree was all the same I was under the sky, no new horizons Maybe there is no one else to Welcome back, listeners, to the Campbell's Footballs podcast. I'm joined for this episode by a football fan from Northern Ireland, but he also supports uh, Tottenham Hotspur and Celtic. It is James Mervyn. James, a warm welcome to the show. Uh, thanks for having me, Grant. Uh, you know, pleasure. Really, really looking forward to recording this episode with yourself. Yeah, I'm really looking forward to it as well. How have you been coping during these very strange times with coronavirus? Uh, it's been strange. Um, it was sort of like an adjustment. I enjoyed it for the first two weeks because it was nice getting a break from college work and from work and then after you just you know football is the the opium of the masses really you, you miss football you miss going to the gym socializing you know mm-hmm. yeah absolutely so very tough you know when i sleep to begin with yeah absolutely i mean what have you been trying to do to keep yourself entertained during these times so um i'm moving actually to preston to finish off my degree so mainly been cooking <laughs> excellent trying to stay away from uh, ready meals and trying to improve my running I know that kind of sounds generic but it's something you know I used to be quite passionate about when I was younger so mm-hmm. really trying to get back into the swing of things with running you know yeah no absolutely I mean is is it journalism that you're doing at, co- at, at, at university in Preston or, or what's that you're doing down there yeah so I basically completed um, a HND in broadcast journalism so I'm experienced, you know, presenting in front of a camera, off a camera, and things like that. So, basically, now I've got my HND in uh, broadcast. I want to sort of stray into international, and you know, with international journalism, it will enable me to travel to different countries and you know, experience different cultures. So, you know, it's something that I really want to do, and I'm really enthusiastic about breaking into. Well, well, I really wish you all the best. It sounds like you have your future mapped out in front of you, and I really hope that post-COVID, or certainly when COVID is suppressed and maintained, that you will get that opportunity uh, to really flourish and be successful. Uh, James, it's fabulous to have you on the show. As I said, you're predominantly based in Northern Ireland, but you have a massive connection with Tottenham and Celtic, and I want to explore that throughout this podcast. My first question that I always ask my guests is, what made you want to go into football in the first place? What was your major interest which drew you into following football from the beginning? It's, it's definitely been my family, you know. Um, funny enough, I'm actually the only Tottenham supporter in my family. <laughs> so, I was always raised, you know, Celtic going to the matches. Um, my grandfather and my, uh, my dad as well, they run a supporters club from West Belfast. Mm-hmm over to the games in Glasgow, so I've really been going to sell the games since, I want to say my first match I was 18 months old, believe it or not. What? So really just playing and watching Celtic and you know I only really started supporting Tottenham when I when I turned about 8 or 9 and so it was every, everybody in, in Belfast, if it's not Celtic you'd see there mm-hmm. Manchester United, Arsenal or Liverpool, so Mm-hmm. I decided to be different. <laughs> There's a lot of connections between Celtic and Rangers fans and clubs in Northern Ireland. Do you have an affiliation with the Northern Irish club over there? You know, not particularly. You know, I know a lot of my friends would support Cliftonville, and you know, some of my other friends would support Linfield. But you no, know, once I do enjoy watching Northern Irish football, I don't really have a particular interest with the team. Mm-hmm. I think I would have more clubs than Tiger Woods if I <laughs> followed Cliftonville. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, 
Yeah. Well, as a Scot kind of following Northern Irish football, certainly over the last five years, I've taken a bit of an interest to both Coleraine and Larne because of the style of football that they play. Um, obviously, I followed Coleraine more closely with Oren Kearney's progress, having been its manager at St Mirren. But and obviously, his style at at, uh, at Coleraine was uh, absolutely fantastic. But Larne as a club are really going places as well, and you know they they really could be a side to watch in the future as well as you know a resurgent Cliftonville and Linfield. Obviously still being the, the team to beat you know the thing with Northern Ireland as well you know watching from afar I was actually at the, the Northern Ireland and Republic of Ireland for me the difference between the two teams is it's very contrast Northern Ireland seem to play together you know as a team mm -hmm. whilst the Republic have great individual players yeah definitely so I, I, that's the main difference in Irish football if you you know you ask me mm -hmm. I think a lot more is, is done in Northern Ireland in terms of grassroots football. Yeah. No, definitely. You know what I mean? No, no, definitely. I think, I mean, the, it's, it's very interesting to see some of the dynamics that are coming out in that run. I mean, I'm speaking to Gerard Little, I've been speaking to Jim Magilton and, and people like Gary Haveron, and it really seems that Northern Ireland are really trying to build for the future, and you're seeing a lot of really good prodigies like Gavin White and Paul Smith and Mark Sykes going over to England and, and really flourishing. Yeah, of course, Sam. Um you know, Paul Smith as well, I think he was a QPR as well recently. And you know, QPR, a fantastic club, you know, not too far away from the Premier League as well. So, you know, it's great to see local lads do well from, you know, where I'm from. And, you know, we're just as good as anybody else. And yeah. it's great to see players like that prove it. I, I chat to a lot of my friends in Scotland uh, about how Northern Ireland internationally have obviously been to a European Championships and Scotland haven't been to a major tournament since 98 and I say to people Scotland can do far worse than look at the blueprint of Northern Ireland on the international stage would you agree? Um, I would agree to a certain extent I think it's the same problem that Northern Ireland have with the Republic the Shard Scotland have you know in, co in common with the Republic I think there's great individual players there you know all you have to do is look at Kieran Tierney, Andrew Robertson, um, Oliver Burke as well. People forget he was such a you know a high-profile transfer. Um, I think he was the first Scottish player to go for £15 million pounds mm -hmm. as well. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I definitely think that you know Scotland have the potential there. And I actually think Steve Clark is, is the right man to do it. It's just a matter of experience and trial and error for me. It took Northern Ireland multiple years under Michael O'Neill yeah. to get where they want to be. Yeah, no, absolutely. Let's talk about um, your inspirations and idols. I mean, who did you really love growing up, either connected with, with Celtic or Tottenham or just in football more generally? Uh, football more generally would probably be McGrath Jim. Um, McGrath Jim's been going to the football games since he was, what, 16, 15, 16? He actually went more Celtic when the European Cup on uh, Lisbon. Brilliant. So hearing some of the, the stories that he asked the family with regards to like you know the traditional olden day footballer compared to the modern day football sort of puts your football brain a bit into perspective. Mm -hmm. Um, God, in terms of Celtic and Spurs, heroes, how long have you got? <laughs> <laughs> um, obviously a main Celtic hero for me would definitely be Henrik Larsson. I mean. Not too many players go from from Celtic to Barcelona. Yeah. Um, God's Spurs heroes as well. 
probably if you're looking to Gareth Bale when um, I watched him at Tottenham, he was easily the third best player in the world, and you just knew that you just had Mads against boots anytime he played for Spurs. Yeah, I mean, I mean, I remember Larson at, at Celtic at his peak, and as an Aberdeen fan, I hated when Larson scored against Aberdeen because he would always do it. And I remember the the really bad old days when Aberdeen were getting trounced seven and eight and nine nil by Celtic, and it would yeah. be awful viewing. Um, and part of it was down to Celtic's brilliance, but part of it was down to Aberdeen's shoddy defending. Um, but you mentioned Bale in the same breath there, and everyone forgets to a point that Bale, once upon a time, was an unbelievable player at Tottenham. I mean, I still remember to this day him really giving Mykon a masterclass on, on the European stage when Tottenham played Inter Milan. He was just sensational. He was, and you know, as, as last year at Tottenham, you know, as I touched upon there, he genuinely was for me anyway. Mm-hmm. Even looking through it, through a bit of Spurs bias, but he was just magic. You know, he, could, he had all the all the things that Ronaldo had. Maybe he wasn't good technically as dribbling as what Messi was, but he was just magic any time he was on the ball. He knew he was going to do something with it. Yeah. Um, Let's talk about yeah. You know? No, no, absolutely. Let's talk a bit closer about Celtic. I mean, what's your first memories of following uh, Celtic as a club? Because obviously, latterly they have been so dominant in Scottish football, and I'm interested to hear your journey following Celtic from the beginning. Yeah, so you know, as, as I mentioned, there sort of you know going over to the buses and games with my, my grand and my daddy. It was more so a family day than it was football. I have more memories on the bus and on the boat with my family members more so than Celtic mm-hmm. but probably the earliest memory I think of following Celtic it was the monumentous occasion was getting the spill 2003 mm-hmm. um, it was just such like, a party atmosphere and you know both my own household and you know just both in Glasgow and Belfast especially the area from in Belfast yeah yeah, no, the 2003 final is uh, is very memorable for me because, you know, that was probably the first time I had seen a Scottish club do so successfully in Europe. And I think we were dreaming at the time when, when Larson made it 1-1 and then made it 2 each. And I remember watching the game and obviously we, we at that time no one really knew how good Mourinho was as a manager for Porto. Uh, obviously goes on to be so successful at Chelsea and loads of other clubs and, and still at, at Tottenham which is an interesting story which we'll come back to later on but what I loved about that Celtic team under Martin O'Neill was that they had so many different ways of winning matches they won with style they won with determination as well and they had they had maybe some fortuitous results but I, I think you have to be fortunate and ride your luck if you are going to go far in the competition and they had some brilliant wins I remember that that great night they had at Anfield against Liverpool yeah and you know both the Celtic and Rangers teams were fantastic to watch you know when I was growing up I mean if you really compare and contrast both the Celtic and Rangers teams from modern day to the likes of Martin O'Neill and you know Alex McLeish's teams it's a stark contrast yeah you know as a Celtic fan you know not just come off as arrogant but it was almost going into every old firm match expecting a win against Rangers mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I kind of missed the competitive edge and the wanting to get one up on your rivals yeah. you know that was sort of lacking well is the Celtic team currently now under Neil Lennon is it better than that 2003 side 
And then of course Larson went to Manchester United, which is my English team, which is uh, I keep mentioning yeah, on the course, I keep mentioning yeah. I keep mentioning on the show because uh, everybody forgets that I support both Aberdeen and Man United. Yeah, but, but you know he proved it when he went to Manchester United too. He wasn't just a flash in the pan of Barca. Definitely, definitely. Um, Alex Ferguson as well wanted him for years when he was in Celtic. Yeah, I think that's the thing that people love about him in Celtic. Even mm. when he was at his prime, he still chose to play for Celtic. But yeah. No, absolutely. That Celtic team, apart from Larson, I mean, what other players did you enjoy watching? Because I remember Stylian Petrov being a very underrated player on that Celtic team. You had you had Rab Douglas in goal, who maybe I didn't think get the credit he deserved at times. Yeah. I thought was very solid. You had Bobo Baldi in at central defence. Didier Gatt was a very underrated player. Obviously, you had likes of Sutton and Hartson as well around about that time as well. They were a very good side, Celtic. Yeah, they were. They, they were a joy to watch. I mean, going into the games as a child, you just you didn't really appreciate it at the time. But looking back, such a fantastic team. You know, it was a messenger, Pedro playing in, you know, a great Aston Villa side. They were pushing for Europe once he left Celtic. Um, probably Baldy should have accomplished a bit more when he left Celtic. But, um, you know, it was disappointing as a Celtic fan to sort of see him not play as much when Gordon Strachan was manager. He had some, some you know, two great strikers. He complimented Henrik Larson very well. Yeah, no, absolutely. I think as well, people like Alan Thompson were, were, were very underrated as well. I mean, he also had a, a pretty successful career. But one thing I is interested about, you mentioned this earlier on about Celtic, was that really good head-to-head -head that they had against Rangers domestically. They, they, were, they were two very strong sides. The Derby games were always very exciting to watch. One of my favourite memories that I recall was one Ulfern Derby Celtic destroying Rangers at Celtic Park 6-2. And then later that same year, Rangers do the complete opposite and win 5-1 at Ibrox. Yeah. Exactly, that's what I'm saying. You know, the closest probably game I've, I've enjoyed were Perhaps like Rangers could come back into this was um, Alton Adbord scored three to the Ibrox. Yes, yes. So that was sort of for me in my opinion. Obviously, make up of what you will of Rangers seasons as mm -hmm. of late, but they are starting to sort of challenge Celtic here again. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, at the moment Celtic are going for the ten in a row. How confident are you that they will achieve that this season? I think what Celtic need to do is they need to get a goalkeeper in and it should have been done much earlier. Mm -hmm. I think loads of Celtic fans, you know, from what I've seen on Twitter, would be happy with Joe Hart. Um, personally, I would feel more confident with Fraser Foster because he knows the club. Mm -hmm. He's only off the back of a great season. Um, God, it's almost the sort of sense of Celtic needed to contain what they have last season. So the likes of Amanusi, the likes of Fraser Foster, obviously let Johnny Hayes go. I'm mm -hmm. sure you're delighted about that. I'm pleased to see Johnny Hayes back in an Aberdeen shirt, absolutely. Yeah. And, and Simunovic as well. So Celtic are actually in a lesser position this year. 
what we were last year. Yeah. Yeah, no, absolutely. I think it's I think it's very interesting to, to see what happens there. Um, but I, I mean, I think looking from the outside looking in, I think Rangers have it all to do. Um, you know, you're right, Celtic do need a goalkeeper. Um, I'm actually surprised. There was rumours that they were going to go with Cladkey uh, uh, from Saint Mirren. Um, that didn't look like materialising. I never thought it would, to be honest with you. But you make a great point about Forster. I mean, I, I mean, I really like him. I think he's a very quality goalkeeper. He's well. I felt he won the league cup all by himself last season. I know. Yeah. Um, I know Christopher Julian got the winning goal in the final, but Fraser Forster was a brick wall in that final. I mean, he, how many times did he deny Alfredo Morelos in that game? It was quite unbelievable. He was actually the thing with Fraser Foster as well. If anything, I think he's underachieved in his career. Mm-hmm. When he moved to Southampton, um, I really thought he would have pushed on and joined a so-called top four club. Because he's bags of potential, he's a presence in the box, he's a presence in the goal. Yeah. He's just, yeah, he's just fantastic. And, and for me, if you ask me, is he one of the best keepers in Europe? Absolutely. Mm-hmm. One person we haven't mentioned on this podcast about Celtic is Scott Brown. How much of a leader has he been for Celtic since you followed him? Massive, absolutely massive. Um, he's just fantastic. You know, it's not too often you can turn around and actually say a Celtic player at the minute is a modern day legend in the team mm-hmm. um, Scott Byrne he's just so influential um, I'd like to see him make the transition that Neil Lennon had done just before he quit his playing desk into the backroom staff mm-hmm. um, if you take Scott Byrne that's the team you take at, at least 10-15 points in terms of the leadership qualities yeah, definitely. I mean, when Scott Brown retires, who do you see filling that void? Is Callum McGregor the natural replacement? Just before he left, I would have said Kieran Tierney. Um, I think Callum McGregor would be the natural replacement. Or maybe someone a bit more vocal on the back line. I think Christopher Ayer is very vocal. Mm-hmm. Um, I think he would make a great vice captain. Yeah. Who, in terms of you, would give it to now, probably Callum McGregor. Yeah, I think it's interesting to see where Celtic go because obviously the aspirations is for the 10 in a row but they've still got uh, great aspirations of another treble because they're still in the Scottish Cup to be played whenever coronavirus is safe to do so and, and Celtic have that opportunity to play Aberdeen in that semi-final and then Hibs and Hearts in the final should they beat Aberdeen. So there is a chance to become quadruple tre- quadruple trebles if, if you like. Um, that was a bit of a mouthful, huh? sorry about that. Um, it, as a Celtic fan, if if you're seeing a side doing the quadruple treble, is does that show how dominant you've been and how successful they deserve to be? Or has it not been successful because Rangers have been not at their best or Aberdeen haven't been able to kick on from being in finals? Or How, how do you take it as a Celtic fan? I would still say it's impossible. Yeah, I mean, it's still successful, whatever way you look at it. I mean, it's no mean feat to potentially do a quadruple travel. And mm-hmm. um, we're probably robbed of the travel under the first year under Ronnie Dealey as well. Mm-hmm. Um, personally speaking, I would love to go and see Celtic kick on in Europe. Yeah, that would be my um, my main wish or my dream to see something that you know. My grandfather was able to go to European Cup final. My father was able to go to European yeah. Cup final. So it's something I, I personally dream of, you know. I'll ask a lot of Celtic fans this, and you've brought this up really nicely for me. Um, do a lot of Celtic fans want to just see them get the league and beat Rangers every season, and and that and that's fine enough. But you've talked about Europe there. 
Is there a group of Celtic fans that want to see them do better in Europe, i.e. get to quarterfinals, semi-finals of the Europa League, or even qualify for the last 16 of the Champions League? Obviously, they've had some really tough draws in the Champions League, but on the Europa League stage, I personally felt, maybe disagreeing with this, I felt that Copenhagen game was a missed opportunity for Celtic. No, absolutely. Um, I think it's a matter of Neil Lennon not really sort of getting his tactics right. Mm -hmm. And he was the same just before we got knocked out of the Champions League. I think it was the... Was it Bersheba, was it? Oh, yeah. Uh, I can't remember. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, yeah, I think it was just naivety. Um, I think with Celtic as well, when we watch Celtic domestically, it's a bit of a high press. And you can't necessarily do that with teams in Europe. I think when Brent Rogers first came into Celtic as well, just to touch on him, his job was to make Celtic a force again in Europe. He, he failed, absolutely. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It, it was humiliating in terms of what Celtic played PSG and Bayern Munich and great teams like that and boxes get Trump. It, it's not a nice feeling for such a big club like Celtic, you know? Yeah, well, uh, you mentioned the P PSG games especially. I, I remember when they lost 7-1 in, in Paris. And, uh, you know, Ron McLean, who I've had on this podcast, you know, he, he was commenting on that game. And as good as Paris Saint-Germain were, and they are a quality side, they're not, um, they've never won the Champions League in my lifetime. And, you know, Celtic really gave away some very cheap goals in that game. See, here's the thing. My take, anyway, with Neil Lennon managing Celtic in Europe, when you look at some of the great results he's had, he knows when to park the bus and he knows when to play football. You just have to look, you know, at that Barcelona game, for example. Mm -hmm. Celtic won the game from a goal kick and they won the game from a, a set pace. Um, looking back at some of the results that Celtic had this year, played some nice free flowing football. Mm -hmm. But it, it's learning when to do that and when to sit back against the opposition. Is the Europa League Celtics level? Because I remember vividly that, that two games they had against Lazio when they were absolutely superb and they won the games 2-1 and, and and I remember the Julien goal at Celtic Park more vividly and obviously the, the winner from Encham in the Stadio Olimpico but you know, Ren, not a household big French team, Cluj, the Romanian side, you know, had obviously given Celtic problems of course but you know, they did they did particularly well in the group stage. Uh, would I agree that the Europa League is Celtic's level at the moment? Yes, I don't think Celtic have the teams to compete against the likes of you know your Bayern Munich, your higher up English sides, your PSGs, your Barcelonas. No, I agree. I think there was a bit, it was a missed opportunity for Celtic, but I mean they've, they've still got a, they've still got a very good chance of. Hopefully, doing well next season, depending how they get on, and you know, obviously with the with the you know the extra place in in, in Europe um, on the horizon for for Scottish sides, you know, that could only help improve uh, the game as a whole as well. Now, as a Celtic fan, James, I mean, you've travelled obviously to you know, obviously to Celtic Park and a lot of other grounds across Europe and in Scotland. Um, what other grounds would you say you've enjoyed going to visit and watch Celtic as a fan? Oh, definitely Ibrox. There's there's no better feeling when when Celtic are running out of Ibrox. Um, God, I, I was actually at the Stadio Olimpico when Celtic beat Roma. Or sorry, not Roma. Sorry, Lazio two one. November mm -hmm. that was fantastic. Yeah. Barcelona everywhere nearly following Celtic. Yeah. Um, but you can, in my opinion, you can't beat 
accompanied Celtic Park. It's actually on a European night as well. Well, I was going to ask you about Celtic Park on European nights because everybody says that a lot of teams don't fancy going to, to Glasgow to, to play Celtic on the European stage. And a lot of big teams in the past have come unstuck, haven't they? Manchester United are famously with that Nakamura free kick. And, you know, Juventus famously, that 4-3 that game, which was absolutely fantastic. Barcelona with, with Tony Watt getting that winning goal. Um, what is it about Celtic Park on nights like that? With Celtic actually going for, for 10 in a row this year, the fans are going to be sorely missed. Mm -hmm. Because when Celtic are playing well and it's crucial and they need to win, the fans will be on your back. And, you know, we are at the 12th man. Mm -hmm. It's just the atmosphere that Celtic fans create, regardless of the Green Brigade, yeah. I still think it's an intimidating place to go. Yes. Yeah, no, definitely, and it certainly seems that way as a fan watching the games. I mean, I mean, even when they were getting beaten by quality opposition like PSG and Bayern Munich, um, you can see that you know they, they they will get chances, Celtic, and the fans do really do drive over. It almost reminds me very vividly as like the cop at uh, Anfield. Mm -hmm. Even um, you know the Man City game, which we drew three eight. The atmosphere that night was unbelievable. That was a tremendous game. Yeah, you can actually, you know, when I, when I was watching the game, the city players took about 10, 15 minutes mm -hmm. to acclimatise the, you know, the atmosphere, and that's how Celtic were able to strike and get their their three goals. Yeah, and of course, I very famously remember the Dembele overhead kick in that game because it was very early in the second half. I think it was like thirty seconds yeah, into the second half. Yeah, no, absolutely. Let's talk about your interest with, with Spurs. We, we've talked a lot about Celtic so far in this podcast, but obviously you, you say you're interested in Spurs as well. What is it about Spurs that interests you? It's such a weird it's such a weird one. You know, my earliest memory of watching Tottenham Hotspur was, I don't know if you remember the 4 each game that Spurs yes. had with Arsenal. Yes, the uh, Aaron Lennon 4-4, four, four. yeah. Yep. So David Bentley hit that worldly. And then I just I don't know, it's just something about Tottenham have fell in love with their their kids and then that January they signed Robbie Keane. And then the I think it was like July or August, sadly we're playing Arsenal in the Champions League yes. playoff round. That's right. And I was just like Team <laughs> yeah, and of course, I think that was the game as well where Eduardo dived, didn't he, for for a penalty which should never have been one. Yeah, so you, you can imagine my my dislike of Arsenal. <laughs> I wondered if there was a connection. That's why I thought I'd bring that game yeah. up in particular. Yeah, but so you can you can definitely imagine my, my dislike with with Arsenal. Spurs are an interesting side because, you know, obviously Mourinho is now in charge at the moment, but under Pochettino, they really did, I would I would argue, maybe a lot of people listening to this might disagree with me, I thought they punched above their weight, they got to the Champions League final, they always pushed to win silverware, never really got that silverware that I felt was missing in Pochettino's repertoire. What would you, what would your analysis be of Pochettino's reign as Spurs manager? He's the best Spurs manager I've seen in my lifetime. What but he didn't win anything. Yeah, and it's sad to you know to say because he revolutionised the football club from head mm -hmm. to toe. Yeah, and it doesn't necessarily help, in my opinion, when you have a polarising chairman like Daniel Levy. Yeah, who would, in my opinion, refuse to spend cash at crucial moments. 
Mm-hmm. You just have to look at last year. We were chasing Paulo Dybala and Bruno Fernandes. There was a five million difference in asking price between Spurs and Sporting Lisbon. And you know, you know yourself. He's walked into mm-hmm. Manchester United's first team and give the club such a boost. Yes. Yeah. I mean, what is it that Pochettino did? What did he do right? At Spurs, because you know we 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 talked a little bit earlier on about Bale and and how good he was, but yeah. I'd argue people like Luka Modric were were very underestimated in that Spurs sides over the period of time. That was probably slightly before Pochettino came in, granted. But you know you got a lot of players in that side like Eriksson, who I who I really rated very highly. Yeah. Harry Kane obviously really came on the scene, did very well defensively. I felt Pochettino made Spurs reasonably strong. You know, Alder Farrell, Vertonghen. A Belgian partnership yeah. as well at the back really did make a difference. Uh, I personally think that sort of Potts, you know, was Tottenham's club. He bought into the ideology of the football club. Mm-hmm. Um, personally, I would have liked to have seen him. I think he deserved a rebuild regarding how you know how well he took Tottenham. He, he took us to the next level. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I would definitely agree. I mean, he done well with the limited transfer funds that he had available. Mm-hmm. Fair enough, he did bring in some some crap like when you look at the likes of you know George Jinkuri or whatever. But you look at the the signings he did bring in: Alderweireld, um, Wanyama, Son, players that you know, great service to Tottenham and. Class, yeah. yeah, I forgot about Son. I mean, he's been terrific. I've got a, a, a fan of Spurs who, who follows the show, a guy called Paul Anderson. I'm going to give him a bit of a shout out on this. Uh, big Spurs fan, loves Harry Kane, uh, and I wind him up constantly because. And maybe you can maybe you can shoot me down here, but I I think that Harry Kane, as good a striker as he is, should move to a Barcelona or a Real Madrid to get success. Why should he stay at Spurs? I think at the minute. You've got the world's most successful coach, Pep Guardiola, at Tottenham. I think you have the new stadium. I would probably agree with your analysis of Spurs in the Champions League next year. I think maybe it's time, as Harry Kane, as a professional footballer, to leave. Mm-hmm. But, you know, in the same vein, Henrik Larsson instead, Salvic, you know, the likes of Alan Shearer in the Premier League, I think Kane will want the break that yeah. the court that yes. Shearer has. Mm-hmm. Yes. Can you see him do it? Can you see him break Shearer's record? I think so, yeah. It's just a matter of, of Kane avoiding stupid injuries mm-hmm. that he seems to pick up. Mm-hmm. I mean, COVID, I mean, COVID indirectly helped his uh, his fitness, didn't it? Because obviously the shutdown gave him the opportunity to rehabilitate and come back. And since the lockdown, or before the end of the season at least, he's been absolutely flying. Yeah, well, the Manchester United game with Drew 1H, he looked to shadow himself. Mm-hmm. And then... Watching him the past few games, he, he looks like the Harry Kane, you know, when Spurs finished second in the league. His, his touch, his strength, his finishing, it's just all sublime. He yeah. is generally the water class. Yeah. I mean, I mean, I, I mean, I, I like Kane. I mean, everybody, everybody listens to me saying, "Oh, he doesn't like Harry Kane. He, he wants him to go to a bigger club to be successful." I love Harry Kane. I think he's a really good striker. I actually think, you know, he he could 
do better. That's why I'm saying I think that possibly long term he needs to think about going to a club where he is going to be successful. Now, he might win something with Mourinho. We don't know that. I mean, I, as a Manchester United fan, having seen Mourinho managing at, at Manchester United, I have my doubts. I don't. I think personally he's got outdated. Maybe, uh, maybe people listening have their own views on that. But I think personally... Kane has to give this, se this next season his last chance, I think, because if he doesn't win anything with under Mourinho this time, he has to think about his future. Hey Mourinho, he's such a polarising figure. I mean, the football that we're watching now, you know, as a Spurs fan, I'm not accustomed to seeing. Mm -hmm. Pochettino and the likes of Harry Redknapp was always very high-pressed, box-to-box. Yeah. With Mourinho, it's so defensive, but his record does speak for itself. He, he's no dozer. Yes five major major titles it's not something that you know you can say this guy's outdated or whatever he's still a winner regardless what's your best moment full or moments following Tottenham as a club oh, you just have to look the the May last year Lucas Mora <laughs> of course plus five yeah unbelievable <laughs> I blame him for not scoring enough points in my fantasy team <laughs> unbelievable See, yeah um, I watched the game actually with you know my dad and my wee brother. He's he's gonna be ten this year, so I'm trying to doctorate him with them um, Spurs. <laughs> <laughs> so you know I watched the Mad City game and I watched the semi final and my dad's and you know sharing that moment with my brother when Lucas Morris scored. It was just unbelievable. And I remember that semi final so well because I actually won the first leg and they looked very comfortable. <laughs> And in the second leg, they, they looked like they had it done and dusted. But one thing I really thought was underrated during Pochettino's reign of Spurs was how they found a way to come back from a, a, a really impossible situation. And you mentioned Lucas Moore. I mean, I've never seen a better hat-trick at that stage of a, a competition than that. I'm still pinching myself. Mm. <laughs> I mean, if you could just bottle up that feeling. Um, regarding Pochettino trying to find a way to come back absolutely yeah Spurs have always been labelled with the tag you know Spursy mm -hmm. I think Pochettino done a lot to change the way other clubs perceive Tottenham if Pochettino becomes available if Mourinho decides to leave would you take him back? not a heartbeat but I would get rid of Daniel Levy first you know mm -hmm. I think it's a case of he just wasn't backed yeah is, he, is Levy a big reason for you why Spurs are not fighting for the title? Absolutely. I mean, in terms of the work that he's done off the field for Tottenham, absolutely brilliant. But as a football fan, you want to live in the, the here and now. Yeah. You know, the year that we finished second in the, the Premier League, mm. and obviously last year in the Champions League, I was like, Daniel yeah. Levy surely realises here he's a fantastic manager. Mm -hmm. We're one or two players away from actually competing. Yeah. And you know, He's let he's let the fans down, you know, so much with regards to transfers. Yeah. I think reading a tweet there the other day, Spurs missed out on twenty five transfers. Wow. Since um, two thousand and fourteen, that was just before Pochettino came in. Right. as well. Mm -hmm. That's quite an extraordinary statistic when you think of it like that. But I mean, wh where Spurs are at the moment, I mean. Is the aspiration for Mourinho in this next season coming to, to get them back into that top four? Because it, this season has been a strange one for Spurs. They've they've not been at it in games, but on the other hand, they've looked absolutely superb. It's it, it, There's nothing really in between. Yes. 
the aspiration has to be to win trophies yeah. for you know as a Spurs Spurs supporter we've been starved for mm-hmm. you know, over 10 years so would you take a FA Cup or a Carabao Cup over a top four absolutely yeah <laughs> I mean, it's an interesting question because a lot of people I speak to, and, and, and you know, there's a lot of Arsenal and Manchester United fans listen to this, and obviously their sides are well behind Liverpool and Man City at the moment. Chelsea fans to a point as well. You know, do you get one to go for the top four or, or try and win the FA Cup or the Carabao Cup? And I personally, and I, I, I'm very old fashioned, but I would rather see my club win some silverware than finishing. A top four place now. Obviously, in Scotland, you know Aberdeen are always fighting behind Celtic and Rangers. So third is probably on paper their most likely avenue every season. So I have to be looking at it like that. But a lot of English fans are always thinking about the top four. And last I heard, the top four wasn't about winning a cup. It's you know okay, it helps you get into the Champions League, but surely winning some silverware is much more prestigious. Absolutely. See, it's funny. My best friend, he's actually an Arsenal supporter. You know, he's had the worst Arsenal side in the last 10 years get the yeah. NFA. Yeah, and you know, as much as I like to banter him about how well Spurs have done, there's still nothing to show for it. Yeah, absolutely. At the end of the day, people are going to remember the trophies you've won, most yeah. of the top four finishes. Now, I asked James before we recorded this podcast to name his... Celtic slash Spurs best 11. I've got it right in front of me here. And uh, I'm just going to read it out. Because he's, he's played a 4-4-2 formation. Um, so he started with Fraser Forster in goals. We spoke quite a lot about Fraser Forster straight this this podcast. And it's sitting in your back four here, James. you got uh, Kyle Walker, Jan Vertonghen, Virgil van Dijk and Kieran Tierney. Do you want to elaborate on your, your four choices there? Uh, God, what can I say about Virgil van Dijk? His crack court at the moment speaks for itself. Absolute Rolls Royce of a player. Yeah. And um, apart him beside Vertonghen, because for me, yeah, he edges out just slightly from Ledley King mm-hmm. in terms of, you know, he is such a world class centre back on mm-hmm. his day. Mm-hmm. Uh, Walker as well, what a full back. Mm-hmm. I was so gutted when he left Tottenham and he went and proved his worth at Manchester City. Kieran Tierney, what a great future he has ahead of him, as mm-hmm. much as it pains me to say that as a Spurs supporter. Yeah, and I think you mentioned a great point, but going back to Van Dyke, and I'm not sure if I mentioned this on previous episodes of my show, but I'm going to mention the story. Um, I think it was 2014, Aberdeen were playing Celtic at Pottery. It was 1-1. Scott Brown was sent off in the game. Um, I think Stefan Johansson had scored for Celtic. I know Adam Rooney scored for Aberdeen. Game one goes into injury time. Celtic win a corner that never was a corner. <laughs> Bitter Aberdeen fan here, come in here. Um, and uh, corner comes in, and uh, Van Dyke peels away. I can't remember who was marking him, and tucks it past Julius um, for two-one. And I'm absolutely raging because not only have Aberdeen not seen the game out and got a point, but I actually had a bet on and gamble responsibly, as I always say on this show. Um, then if I had finished a draw, I'd have won 340 quid, which would have been my, my biggest ever um, bet win. And that was a real sickener for me. <laughs> uh, just touching on it as well. Um, I don't know if you remember the first old firm at Celtic Park. Yes. I actually had Celtic to win 4 1. Right. And can imagine sort of when, when Celtic scored the fifth <laughs> yes <laughs> yes yes that was the Dembele hat trick game wasn't it yeah so yeah. that was sort of mixed that day you know 
<laughs> Disappointed to not win a bet, but your Celtics, your team scored a fifth goal. Wow, quite extraordinary scenes. Let's move on to your midfield because I mentioned Modric just a few moments ago, and he's in your team. Nakamura, who I also mentioned with that brilliant free kick against Manchester United, uh, I remember so vividly. Christian Eriksen, and you mentioned Gareth Bale, and what a formidable midfield four this is. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, if that if that set is playing at the minute, where would you rank them? Mm -hmm. I think absolutely fantastic. Yeah, I think the the winner mentality of Celtic is in that team on the flair of the Tottenham players. Yeah, would be terrible to watch. Yeah, I'm quite surprised that there's no hold. Uh, who's your sitter there? Is Modric your sitter? Because I thought he would have been the the creative player. I yeah, thought you're missing yes, like a, a Brown or a Wanyama in there. <laughs> yeah. See, the thing is, um, look at Modric in his early days at Tottenham. He was such a deep line playmaker. He was. He was. That's a good um, show. Van der Vaart and stuff started ahead of him. Oh, of course. Um, I forgot about Van der Vaart. Yeah. In terms of the number 10 role. So, look at Modric for me. He's just putting the strength. Um, yeah. That's a good it's a good sight. And Eriksen is, is, is class. And obviously, ripping it up in, in Serie A at the moment. He is. And it was so disappointing as a Spurs fan to see how, how you know, he dipped past year of his contract why did why did that happen because I really rated Ericsson in a Spurs side I have I always thought when he was playing Spurs would usually be very solid what happened yeah. I think he just got you know complacent in a Spurs had no real competition for number 10 mm -hmm. I think he wanted the ambition to go home and show please you know can't really blame him yeah um, I was actually surprised when Mourinho came in he didn't sign a new contract but I suppose. I mean, he was a great servant for Tottenham. You know, I don't want his departure to leave a bad taste in, in fans' mouths. Yeah. Most brilliant was. No, absolutely. And then you're up front too. Um, really, is um, very simple. Harry Kane and, and Henrik Larsson. We spoke at length about both players. I mean, what what where can Kane get to? We, can Kane get to that kind of hero status that that Larsson got? Absolutely. He already, he already is there for most Tottenham fans. Yeah. You look at the, the goals he scored, love for the club. I think most young players as well nowadays tend to get disillusioned mm -hmm. when they go out and know Harry Kane didn't. You know, he stuck his head down, got working, and he really yeah. plays for the shirt anytime he plays for Tottenham. And, and finally, if you're picking a manager, <laughs> who would you go for? Oh, that's a tough one. <laughs> Surely you'd have to go for Martin O'Neill, wouldn't you? I would actually go for Pochettino. Ooh, interesting. I think with the players that I have on the side, I think the high press would be, you know, you look at the likes of Walker, Rose, or Tongan and Van Dijk, who like the, the players from the back. Mm -hmm. I think his style of football would, would be brilliant. In interesting. I thought you would go for Martin O'Neill, but that's James's team. It'll go up on the Campbell's Football's Twitter and Facebook accounts. Let me know what you think, and if you think that you've got an alternative team that might be better and would like to challenge James's team, feel free to, to contact the show. Uh, James, we're coming to the end of the podcast. I've really enjoyed uh, our chat and really interesting to just chat about two sides that you know, I don't usually talk a lot about Celtic and Spurs, but nevertheless, I, I find it very, very interesting and very enjoyable. What does the future hold for yourself? Because you, you say you have aspirations to really kick on and really make it into the world of broadcasting and journalism. I, I take it that's where your your focus is now lying post-COVID-19. That's that's the goal. Um, yeah, that's the goal. Um, the aspiration is to go to, to Preston and, and finish my degree. Once that's finished, I'd love to challenge myself 
living in a different country, writing about sports and different types of culture. So, you know, something, you know, I'm really passionate about. And I've always told if you've got a passion for something, then, you know, good things will follow with that passion. Yeah. Yeah, well, on behalf of Campbell Sobels, I really wish you all the best. I really, really enjoyed our discussion. Uh, and thanks for being a guest on the show. Thanks for having me. It's been a pleasure. And um, all the best with the podcast, Grant. Thank you very much. Well, listener, that brings us to the end of yet another episode of Campbell's Footballs. I hope this podcast was just what the doctor ordered. If you want to listen to previous shows or look out for future shows, follow Campbell's Footballs on Apple, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or wherever you listen to other podcasts. You can also follow the show on Facebook at Campbell's Footballs. Search for me, StatoG91, on Instagram or other social media channels. But until then, until next time, I hope you enjoyed the crack and enjoy Campbell's Footballs. What a dangerous night.